From producers Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, explore how art and music sustained hope during the siege of Sarajevo, thanks in part to humanitarians and the band U2. Kiss the Future, new documentary now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Go to Paramount Plus to try it free. Terms apply. Welcome to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC Sports. Brought to you by JohnnyTShirt.com, the go-to provider for all your Tar Heel gear. I'm your host, Tommy Ashley, joined by Greg Barnes and Jason Staples. You're listening to The Game Plan podcast from Inside Carolina, sponsored by JohnnyTShirt.com. I'll get the Johnny T-Shirt a little bit later, but if you haven't been going there, you need to check that place out. Great place to get your Carolina gear. Guys, it's The Game Plan podcast, so let's jump right into it. I'm going to mix it up. I usually go to Greg. Jason, I'm going to come to you first. Talk a little bit off air. Carolina's preparing for a Virginia offense that has that presents a quarterback that can do everything. My question first is, is it a pretty similar game plan that Jay Bateman devised for Duke that he'll need to put together for Virginia? If so, why? If not, why not? You know, actually, I don't think it's exactly the same game plan this week as it was last week because the, in a lot of ways, it's very similar, but it's not exactly the same because even though the quarterback skill sets are somewhat similar, uh, actually very similar, it's just Perkins is better, uh, the wide receiver position is pretty pretty significantly different between the two posi- the two places, and to me, what you're going to want to do with Virginia is you want to pack the line of scrimmage both against the run and against the pass. We talked last week that with with Duke, you wanted to force them to have to throw the ball down the field in that intermediate area, even some of the short stuff, but don't give up any big plays in the passing game and then do everything you can to stuff the running game and then take away the big plays in the passing game with Virginia. Virginia hasn't created any big plays all year in the passing game. They, they are as vertically challenged in the passing game as, as any team on North Carolina's schedule. To me, what you do with Virginia is you, you do the same thing, trying to stop the run. No doubt. But then you also basically make the deal that we're willing to give up a couple big plays in the passing game. And I know that sounds crazy, but I'm willing to give up a couple big plays in the passing game to try to smother all the underneath stuff and all of the, all of the let's say, five yards past the line of scrimmage to about 15 yards past the line of scrimmage or just anything under 15 yards. I want to challenge everything in the passing game. They get nothing free because that's where they make their living. If you force them to have to throw the football more than really even 10 yards down past the line of scrimmage, 10 yards downfield and their efficiency just falls off a cliff. So if you can do the same thing against the run and then force them to throw over you a little bit, you basically are saying, we don't think you can beat us over the top. And if you do, we'll take the one or two plays that you might be able to get in exchange for a bunch of three and outs and maybe a turnover. 
that's what you're willing to do. So it's a little bit different in that regard, just because they're not very good. And I'll, I'll, I'll pull out a couple numbers a little bit later in the podcast, but they're just not very good at creating at creating big plays in the passing game, both because Perkins doesn't throw it real well and also even more so because they just don't have the wide receivers that, that scare you downfield. Greg, so when Jason's talking about that, the importance of health in that defensive backfield is 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 going to be relevant uh, Saturday night. And Mike Brown talked about um, how they were able to plug and play DeAndre Hollins, but getting guys back off the injured reserve list or <laughs> off the shelf, as they say sometimes in college football, I mean, that's going to help provide that depth. But even with what Bateman was able to do with guys like Hollins, uh, Greg Ross had some nice plays last week when Storm Duck went down. I mean, Carolina bo- it bodes well for Carolina in past defense, as Jason's talking about, doesn't it? Yeah, and I think really what it does is it allows Jay Bateman in North Carolina uh, to, to be more dynamic defensively. And I think you know, when you've got guys that are so inexperienced as they did last week against Duke, you've got to be a little bit careful. Uh, now, give them a lot of credit. They, they mix things up quite a bit and really did an uh, incredible job um, of, of keeping uh, Quentin Harris in, in the pocket. And he was just a non-factor in the run game. And going in, you know, the, the message is, hey, you know, we want to make sure that, that if Harris beats us, it's because he's he's beating us with his arm. And so they excelled in that. But I think when you get some guys back, uh, that that allows you to be a little bit more creative because you, you have guys that you trust there, especially, you know, if Trey Morrison is able to play at corner, uh, as we expect he will. Now you're talking about a situation where uh, if you need to isolate him and put him on an island to uh, create some havoc on that side of the field, you're okay doing that. You're not going to do that necessarily with Hollins uh, because, I mean, even as we saw you know, last week, Cutcliffe uh, threw at him a ton. I, mean, I think he had the, the most targets his way with, with 10 probably, and Duke was successful throwing at him. Uh, you're, you're not going to see that as much if Morrison's out there by himself, and so that allows you to be a little bit more aggressive in kind of your scheme. And I think, I think obviously, that's going to be more beneficial for North Carolina with what Jay Bateman wants to do. As, as Jason said, uh, Perkins is he's, he's a better athlete. Uh, he's he's passing better. Uh, he's not a great passer by any stretch. But the fact that he's been dinged up with a knee injury, uh, it'll be interesting to see how, how much that kind of limits him. Uh, but if North Carolina is able to keep him in the pocket, you know, which which UNC did not do last year, that'll go a long way in, in making this kind of a one-sided game. And as Jason said, I mean, if you look at the stats in terms of explosive plays. Uh, it just isn't there for Virginia this year. I mean, they've they've got 26 plays of 20 plus yards this year. North Carolina has 49. Carolina number one in the ACC. Virginia dead last at 14. Uh, so you 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 want to make them throw the ball. Uh, you have to be careful not to allow explosive plays because that would be really a gift to Virginia. Uh, but if you can keep Perkins in the in the pocket, uh, that that's really what you want to do. I'm going to add in a couple more reinforcing the the stats that Greg just brought in. Virginia is 40th in the country in passing plays over eight, over 10 yards. 40th in the country. They've got 80. For perspective, North Carolina is 11th in the country in passing plays over 10 yards at 97. Here's where things change, though. 
30-plus yard passing plays. Virginia drops to 98th. They've got eight. So one out of 10 of Virginia's pass plays on the year have gone for more than 30 yards. <laughs> that's, um, that's a pretty significant difference. North Carolina's got 14, and they're 29th, so not quite as explosive relative to their, uh, to, to their production at plus 10 yards or 10-plus yards, but a whole lot more explosive than Virginia in that department. And again, Virginia, and, and the, fur, the more you go, the, the bigger the plays go, the further down the stats, further down the national rankings, Virginia falls. So like I said, top 40, they're number 40 in 10-plus yard completions, 98th as soon as you get to 30. Make them, you, you take away that 10-yard stuff. Come up and tackle hard, press them, find ways to, to force them to have to make those throws that are 30, that are 30 yards down the field. And you, you feel like if you're Jay Bateman, you're coming into this game and, and, and saying, if I can get them to have to attempt balls, they're going to travel 15, 20 yards in the air. I'm getting a lot. I'm, my defense is coming off the field a lot. Tommy, and while we're on the, the topic of kind of the, the passing game, I thought this was an interesting stat. Uh, Virginia has thrown the ball actually more than North Carolina has this year in terms of uh, targets, according to Pro Football Focus. We've harped a lot on the drops that North Carolina's had. UNC's got 18 drops. Virginia only has two. And so when you're able to eliminate the mistakes, uh, you can get away with, with not being as explosive and not being as efficient. Now, you, they're still not great by any stretch in the passing game. But by being very clean, uh, you, you can make up for some of those uh, deficiencies. Yeah, and then you know I just pulled up the pro football focus stats on Bryce Perkins as well. He's actually been okay to his outside left. He's six of 12 there, got two touchdowns and one interception. But you know how on pro football focus and those who, those who are familiar with this, because we, we do a lot with the pro football focus stats at inside Carolina. So you're probably familiar with this. If you're listening to this, the red numbers are, are bad <laughs> and the green numbers are good. So Bryce Perkins is, is red downfield so 20 plus yard throws he's red between the numbers and to the outside right and yellow to the outside left just not very good outside right in between the numbers downfield 20 plus yard throws he's four of 25 on the season 20 plus yards downfield throwing to his outside right or between the numbers now normally actually a a right-handed quarterback is going to be a better thrower to the to the right side so it's unusual that he's a little bit better thrower downfield when he's throwing to his left so that's something that Bateman is definitely going to have noticed that you want to make sure that that any downfield stuff if you're going to if you're going to play over the top play over the top to the to the left but basically everything 10 yards beyond beyond 10 yards down the field you see his numbers drop off especially between the numbers into his right hand side so, I mean, his passer rating, right-hand side, 10-plus yards downfield, 39.9 NFL passer rating. You go 20-plus yard field, 20-plus yards downfield, 39.6 NFL passer rating. That's not getting it done. So force him to make those throws. Take away, 
He's a 92.2 NFL passer rating on throws that travel less than 10 yards downfield when he's thrown to his right. So there's your, there's what you do. Take that away. And Jason, we're looking at the same page here. So one thing I wanted to ask you, since we're talking about Virginia offense is uh, with Perkins, you know, most quarterbacks are this way, but, but some guys have a greater discrepancy and I think Perkins probably falls in that, uh, that category. His numbers are, are pretty starkly different when he's not facing pressure versus when he's under pressure. So my, my question is, uh, the guys talked last week after playing Harris that uh, you want to have, uh, you, you want to make sure you cover your gaps. You want to have controlled rush. And, and for people listening, what that means is you don't want to just completely rush through the line and, and try to get up the field because if, if you lose contain, that opens up some, some rushing lanes. Well, how do you possibly get pressure on him while also maintaining contain uh it seems like that's a very kind of a juggling act there to me against virginia you bring an extra guy or you green dog so so if they're going to keep an extra guy in to uh to to block a guy that you that you blitz you're just you keep a backer responsible for the quarterback who who can blitz when he wants who can if he sees the lane he can come up and, and take it and Surratt's done that really well all year. That's something that that Bateman does a reasonable amount of time, where you'll see a, a running, you'll see a, a backer who's responsible to match up with, say, the the running back in the backfield. And when that back stays in to block, that backer comes. He comes a little bit late, but he's often getting shots on the quarterback. That's what you do. So you you make sure that your guys stay disciplined in their rush lanes and do their job. But the that's the other thing. Virginia's offensive line is not very good. Virginia's offensive line is not as good as Duke's. So to me, again, bring pressure and then force them to have to throw over the top against that pressure because you're probably going to get a lot of three and outs out of that. And you're not, you're, you're just not afraid. You shouldn't be afraid of them beating you over the top a whole lot in this one. So the, the thing that concerns you facing Bryce Perkins is he's really hard to get on the ground. He's a big guy. He's 215 pounds. That's what he's listed at. I think he might be a little heavier than that. He is a he is a really strong guy, and you'll see at different points in the in on the film, he'll have you'll have him in the grasp in the pocket, and all of a sudden he'll escape, and then he's making that you know 12 yard pass downfield, 15 yard pass downfield for a first down. That's where he's getting those completions when he is getting those or he'll just work his way out and you'll you'll have somebody that comes up and makes a hit on him and he'll find a way to dump that ball off and because you've committed the extra guy you don't have a guy out there and that's where they you know they'll 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 work those cheapies down the field but to me bring this is a team that I, I would want to bring pressure I would want to put pressure on that offensive line to have to block me because I don't think that offensive line is especially is especially good the weakest offensive line they've had under Bronco they're going to be pretty good in the future they're just really young and they've been banged up a little bit so bring pressure force them to throw over the top and make sure you you do everything you can to get hits on 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 Perkins and and get him to the ground when you do because you're right when he's under pressure his pro football focus passing grade 30.34.3 put him under pressure (laughs) real simple 
it's interesting. I want, I want to stay on that topic just for a second, but let me talk about Johnny T-shirt right fast. I mentioned earlier they're our sponsor of this podcast. They're great friends of Inside Carolina. They've got all the swag you need for Carolina. you got Carolina football, Carolina basketball, but they also have Carolina soccer. I watched Carolina women's soccer in the regular season just a few minutes ago, beating Miami down in Coral Gables or uh, wherever Miami is now, and uh, won that game 3-2. They've got soccer jerseys they've got women's sports stuff they've got everything you need for carolina fandom at all sports across the across the gamut of carolina sports and there's a lot of them johnny t-shirt.com of course if you can't make it to franklin street and both places will get you 10 percent off your order if you're inside carolina premium subscriber so get that code off the premium message boards and call and get you an order or order online or go see them. They'll do it in person. They're great to deal with in person. Great friends of Inside Carolina, Johnny T-Shirt, johnnytshirt.com. Let me stick to Bryce Perkins. And, you know, Jason, you talked about getting him on the ground. I'm looking at his stats. He's rushed for 465 yards. He's gained 465 yards, which is a good amount. But he's lost 190. And I know that sacks are in there as well, but – this is a guy that um, can break your back if he gets loose, but he often gets tackled behind the line. So you mentioned the pressure. Is that not the be-all, end-all for North Carolina on this game? It's just key on Bryce Perkins, make him be the guy, make him not be the guy. Um, or is there somebody else on that offense Carolina needs to be mindful of? I'm focused almost exclusively on Bryce Perkins. I mean, they've got a couple nice backs. They've got a couple things there, but a couple players that you know that can do that can make plays. But ever he's the he's the straw that stirs the drink. He's the guy you got to worry about. And if you force him to beat beat you with his arm down the field, then you've got a good chance of winning. If if he's able to to get comfortable and start completing those passes under ten yards. If he's able to to if they're able to start getting him on some boots and and using some quarterback run game to get some positive yards and they're able to they're able to matriculate the ball down the field slowly, then they got a shot of winning. But that's a team that had they just they have to have things go right. They're gonna have when they're gonna have scoring drives, they're gonna be eight they're gonna be eight nine play scoring drives most of the time. And so don't turn it over. And then force them to beat you with big plays, and odds are you're going to come out okay. Greg, is there anything that Jay Bateman's shown us thus far this year that says he can't get that accomplished against Virginia, especially given the offensive line issues you guys have already talked about? I mean, he's found a way to frustrate nearly everybody. Uh, Wake Forest in the first half, maybe not so much. App State, maybe not, but everybody else, Bateman's found a way of, of getting effective pressure, getting uh, in the heads of opposing quarterbacks. Any reason to suspect he won't be able to get it done, especially now that he's going to have even more bullets in his gun Gordon, going into this ballgame Saturday night? Well, look, <clears throat> Bateman's been very good. I don't think there's any doubt about that especially given the personnel he's working with. Um, I think at times the the hype gets a little much uh, just because you haven't seen some uh, really poor performances. Like 
I think Carolina fans have gotten used to. I mean, North Carolina's defense ranks 59th nationally in S&P Plus. Um, I mean, not bad compared to recent standards. That's not necessarily great. Uh, so, yeah, he has been productive. He has. I mean, the Clemson game was was fantastic. Uh, Duke was pretty good until uh, the you know the final drive. And if if Duke scores on that final drive from first and goal with the the two, the conversation is how in the world does North Carolina allow a poor Duke defense to march down the field when it matters and scores to win the game? So one poor call, one poor play by by Duke, one great play by Chasseret completely flips around that that conversation. Um, I you know. I think we've pretty much laid out that the Virginia's offense is is not great by any stretch. Uh, they do have a playmaker at quarterback. Uh, he can cause some problems. I think they've got better wide receivers. At least a boy is uh, is better than anybody that that Duke had. Uh, so that that's a potential issue. Um, I, I think Virginia's you know a better team than Duke is just uh, as a whole, uh, even on the offensive side of the ball. So can Bateman and North Carolina have success defensively? Sure. Have we seen enough to suggest they can? Yeah, of course we have. Um, can North Carolina completely lock down Virginia and shut them out? I don't know that we've seen enough to really say that can happen. Um, but but I do think North Carolina's defense will certainly you know, be able to, to be effective enough uh, to give the offense the chance to win. Jason, last question for Carolina on the Carolina defensive side. A lot of the message board posters, and this is for them, uh, they always talk about you got to put a spy on the quarterback. You got to put a spy on the quarterback. So I haven't really noticed Bateman doing that at all, but he's got some options when Chad Surratt, uh, even Dominic Ross. Is that a potential um, way to approach this one to keep Perkins from getting loose with his legs? Because uh, I agree, if if he's able to get comfortable and make those plays with his legs, then Carolina's going to be in trouble. Um, any chance we'll see that sort of approach from Bateman? I mean, it's an it's an option. It's what you it's one of the things you can do. But from what I've seen of Bateman's Bateman's tendencies and his philosophy, I wouldn't expect a whole lot of it, if any. Uh, he, he the thing about the thing about spying a quarterback is you've got you're you're kind of limited in in terms of what defenses you're going to do it in. So you might, for example, run a robber or rat type scheme where you're dropping a guy to take care of that short to intermediate middle and then he's also he's keeping his eyes on the quarterback and then if the quarterback leaks out of the backfield then then that guy tackles the quarterback uh you know that that sort of serves double duty and all that but generally if you're gonna have a guy spy you're kind of you're you're letting the quarterback account for a for a defender who's not doing as much to help you in other ways and what i've seen from bateman is that he does a lot of uh, stunting and moving fronts and using you basically using uh, good discipline from his defensive line and using movement up front to make it difficult for quarterbacks to to have clear running lanes. And this is something actually I, I learned at the Clemson coaching clinic a couple of years ago. They were talking about how when they had Deshaun Watson that there were a couple teams and they mentioned actually Florida state as the one that, that gave him the most trouble in this regard, that there were a couple of teams that because of the stunting that they did up front, it made it harder on their quarterback run game because it just, 
the quarterback would go to he'd see the lane and then there'd be a guy coming into that into that lane from somewhere else because of the stunt so it it it, it sort of masks where the where the lane might open up now sometimes with the stunt on a passing play you you might have a a, a little bit larger lane open up but again what what i've seen bateman do more of than say spying the quarterback is to have a green dog situation where you have the linebacker who it might look kind of like he's spying, but he's really matching up against the the back in the backfield or maybe the tight end. And then all that's happened is he's because he's no longer matching up with that guy in coverage. He's responsible to basically find work and he's released to go after the quarterback if there's a lane. And that's really what I'm seeing, what I've seen more from Bateman. Uh, I tend to like that approach more because it's a more aggressive approach than than the uh, than the spy. Sometimes, again, uh, if you're playing against a Michael Vick or somebody like that, and you've got a Derwin James or somebody, then maybe that's the thing you do. <laughs> maybe you maybe you just you know, bring Derwin James into the box and you kind of work your defense around some robber type stuff and and have him become the the shadow. But other than that, I, I like the idea of basically working within the confines of your defense using movement using disguise using some aggressive green dog type philosophy in order to get to the quarterback and and close down where those run lanes might develop while not sacrificing a whole lot on the back end or on the front end for that matter so i i, I don't really expect to see i mean i could be surprised here he could break tendency but I haven't seen a whole lot of evidence that he's he's really inclined to use spy concepts all that often. Get Perkins on the ground and catch it when he throws it to you because he's throwing eight interceptions on the season, so he, he can get a little loose with the football. We're going to take a short break, come back, talk about Carolina's offensive approach against a Virginia defense that's not bad. You ready for this? Yeah. If is the most original and heartfelt movie in years. Magic like this comes around once in a lifetime. This Friday... Experience it with your whole family. Can we do it again? If ready, PG. CBS Friday TV's hottest show is Fire Country. I'm not a hero. I'm in orange for a reason. They're taking 12 months off your sentence. You're free, lady. With a special epic season finale. Now that I'm out, I need something to get me up in the morning. You are a firefighter. Used to be. That will be unforgettable. In the name of your life's happiness. Go get your girl. She's getting married tomorrow. Says when do you let anything get in the way of what you want? The Fire Country season finale Friday 9 8 Central on CBS and streaming on Paramount Plus. We're back. Inside Carolina Game Plan Podcast. I'm Tommy Ashley, Jason Staples, Greg Barnes. Carolina offense, Greg, uh, has been great at times. It's struggled at times. Sam Howell's been fantastic all year. Virginia's defense is not bad. And if I'm looking at the stats correctly, and it is Halloween night, it's been a long night, uh, Virginia's given up 281 yards a game, which is a full 100 less than North Carolina's. How does Carolina approach this Virginia defense that's uh, it's, it's played well at times, not so much on the road. We'll talk about that a little bit later. But, Greg, Carolina's offensive approach, Longo, how uh, the running back by committee type approach, how you see Carolina doing it? Well, you know, we, I think we set up Virginia talking to offense first, and you're like, God, that does not sound like a very good unit. North Carolina should be in good shape in this game, right? 
and yet North Carolina is at home in front of a sellout crowd, and it's a two-and-a-half-point favorite. And the reason why is what you mentioned. Uh, Virginia's uh, great defensively. They're very good in special teams as well. Uh, and so those are probably you know, two phases of the game that, that tilt in Virginia's favor. Um, and you know, Bronco has done a really good job. He's, I find it interesting, and I, I like Jason's uh, take on this, but a lot of people were concerned when he was hired because he didn't have any East Coast experience coming from BYU. How, how can he adapt recruiting-wise? And if you look at the rankings, at least initially, first couple of years, they really weren't that impressive. And then he had the whole fiasco, I guess it was uh, not this past summer, but previous year, summer, where he was like, yeah, you only got like 26, 27 ACC guys on the roster, blah, blah, blah. But yet, when you watch them, there are a lot of really good players on this defense. Now, uh, it's a big loss losing Bryce Hall, one of the best players in the country, out of the secondary. Uh, that that hurts. Uh, but in listening to Phil Longo talk about this defense, he talked about, you know, very much like Clemson in terms of being athletic, being very long, um, you know, good length to them, and that, that that's tough. I mean, their defensive ends are, are very good. They've been good in the secondary. Um, and so it's really, really a legitimate challenge. Um, and they're very multiple in what they like to do. Broncos very good with that. So I, I think if you look at where North Carolina has really had its problems, uh, it's been inconsistency in the run game, and it's also been inconsistency, and this goes on both the offensive line and Sam Howell, uh, and, and you know, protecting the quarterback and the quarterback getting rid of the ball quickly. And I, I think this defense is better than Duke's last week, but, but what Longo has really stressed both weeks is you know, when we're giving Howell the ball, we can't wait and see if the offensive line is going to hold up. We have to be ready to, to make our decisions and go quickly. Uh, he can't just hang on to it because that's one of the reasons North Carolina's has as many sacks as it's had. And a lot of those have been Howell's fault. He's just trying to buy time, trying to make things happen. Uh, and, he, and as he gets older, he'll get better, obviously. But right now, he's still struggling a little bit, knowing when to get rid of the ball. Um, and so Virginia's going to put a lot of pressure on him. Uh, and, and if you can establish a run, and I think – the offensive line uh, has been doing better. That left guard spot still been a liability. Brian Anderson's uh, been been here and there. Uh, we'll have to see if Polino is able to play. Uh, that's certainly going to be a question mark. But if he can come in and play some guard, uh, you would think that solidifies things pretty quickly. Uh, but that that's the thing too. So you've got to you have to be really good up front. You have to be able to uh, run the ball. North Carolina's had some good numbers. Uh, but a lot of the work of the, the running backs has been after contact. And that's a credit to Michael Carter and Javante Williams and even Antonio a little bit. But but Carter and, and Javante have, have just been great in terms of you know, absorbing contact, uh, breaking tackles, and just kind of moving the pile. And that's why North Carolina has had success. So if you can, if you can find some success running the ball, and if offensive line is effective enough there to buy Sam Howell some time to pass, um, I think there's enough plays there to be made. But what you cannot do is is take those negative plays where you're playing from third and long, like we've seen so many times. Uh, and that's when North Carolina tends to get in trouble. Jason, your take. I mean, Virginia's got 32 sacks. And if, again, if I'm looking at it correctly, they give up 3.1 yards a rush. Uh, they're going to be a, a stiff challenge for Sam Howell and this North Carolina offensive line. Polino plays or he doesn't. Uh, what's Carolina got to do? You know, start it. Start with us on first down. 
first and 10 from the 25. How does Carolina approach this Virginia defense, like Greg said, as opportunistic? And it'll put Carolina in way behind the chains, and that's been pretty much death on drives for North Carolina this season. Yeah, it's some good questions there. First, I want to emphasize, I think this is probably the second best defense that North Carolina will have played this year behind Clemson. This is a really good defense. And they they tackle well. Uh, They are physical. I mean, what they they have basically taken on the the persona of their coach. And Mendenhall is all about physicality, all about discipline. I mean, that's what he brings. And the defense matches his persona. It matches the kind of team that that he wants to have. And you know, they do some stuff. They're they're pretty multiple, like like Greg said. And they're going to give you problems up front because they're going to line up in some three four stuff. They're going to line up in some even looks with a stand up. They're gonna they're gonna give you some. Uh, they're going to slant on you. They're going to do a lot of the same stuff that Wake Forest and App State did defensively. And I can, you know what? I even though it hasn't happened yet, I can't. I can hear all of the people listening to this podcast groaning, remembering what things looked like against. App State and against Wake Forest. And that's what you're going to see Virginia doing in terms of, of defensively. That's that's kind of how they how they set up. And again, they, they don't have a bunch of guys that jump off the off the film at you in terms of that's a clear first round, second round pick. But they got a lot of length, like like Greg said, and a lot of guys that are gonna that are gonna cause you some problems in terms of tackling. And one of the things that they do really well, you look at their first quarter yards per carry against them, 2.39, 2.39 yards per carry against Virginia in the first quarter and 2.56 in the fourth quarter. If you're going to get some rushing yards on them, generally it's been in the second and third quarter, which is a little bit of where, you know, especially second quarter, some of their depth, they're not as deep as, as, as some of the, some of the, uh, the really true elite te- defensive teams on the, uh, are in the country, but, to me, first of all, I think it's a big deal if Polino plays. If he can play and he can contribute, especially at guard, then that that's that that helps. And that uh, provides some some solidity. I, I think the guys that are playing left guard potentially have NFL futures, but they've still got some growth to do. This is one of those games where if you have a guy that's got the experience that can really make sure that you're solid at that spot, that can help. But if I'm Phil Longo, I'm coming into this game and I'm trying to I'm going to throw a little bit more on first down early, especially in the early in the game. This is where I might I might come out and instead of doing what they've done and trying to run the football early, run the football in the second quarter and just kind of get to the fourth quarter against this team, I'm I'm probing just a little bit to see if I can get a play against their secondary early. And they've been, they've done that in, against a couple teams so far this year. I mean, they did that against Miami. They did that against Virginia tech where they got a couple early throws where they created a matchup and were able to get a couple downfield throws for big plays and got leads in those games that ultimately, yeah, they evaporated in each of those games, but those leads allowed them to play very differently than they would have otherwise. I think that's exactly what I would try to do in this game. I would try to come into this game with some first down throws, some play action stuff to try to get after their secondary early on, 
see what matchup I really like. And odds are it's going to be Daz Newsom against one of the safeties. See if you can get some sort of pump and go or some sort of thing that's going to get him on the run and create an early play. Because this is a game where I think points are going to be at a premium overall. And if you can get get up by a touchdown or 10 points early in the game, then at that point you can start to sort of play your game and play from ahead and force them to to actually do something other than just what they do on offense, you know, force them to get a little bit panicky eventually. And that can tilt the game in your favor. But to me, that's, that's what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to, I know I'm not going, I'm not likely, especially early in the game, maybe late in the game. Once I've worn, worn that defense down a little bit early in the game, I'm not expecting to get a bunch of eight play drives against this team. This is a game where I'm coming in with six, seven plays that I've really spent time on. I've had my quality control guys, my GAs, just checking, okay, how, what formation can I use? What, what uh, tempo combined with formation can I use? Is there a trick play that I can use to get an early big play against their secondary so that I can get a little bit of padding and, and let my defense play from ahead? That's what I'm trying to do in this. And then I think late, if you're fresh, they, they have given up some rushing yards late in games at times. Uh, but like I said, they're, they're, this is a team they're not easy to run against. They're going to give you a lot of the same problems that, that App did, that Wake did. And the best thing you can do is basically find some holes in that secondary, which, again, since their best corner and one of the best corners in the country is now out, that's really where you've got to target them. Yeah, Tommy, to kind of illustrate Jason's point there, I mean, just look at the Duke game. I, th- I thought Duke had a very good defense. It's not like North Carolina's offense was great. I mean, the running backs did a good job. Sam Howe had, had one of his uh, worst games as a whole that we've seen. Yet, what did he do? When the opportunities presented themselves, he made a perfect pass to Bo Corrales. Uh, he's kind of dropped it in the basket on that 29-yard touchdown pass. And then when another opportunity arose, he threw the 47-yarder. I mean, he averaged 22.7 yards per completion, and he only completed 10 passes. So he took advantage of those opportunities. And because he hit on those two big plays, I mean, North Carolina scored 20 points total. Because he had those two big plays, that was enough to get the job done. So, uh, yeah, I mean, if you can just hit on a couple of those big plays, which North Carolina can do, and which Virginia struggles to do, that can flip the scale in your favor. Uh, Tommy, you mentioned the 32 sacks uh, for Virginia. That is fourth nationally. North Carolina has allowed 27 sacks. That's 122nd nationally. So, so that certainly is going to be a, an area to watch. So one other thing, too, to add, add into this that I, that I should mention is that they've really had only two teams run the football well against them, and one was last week. So the first one is Notre Dame, and Notre Dame didn't run it well against them early. It took Notre Dame like three quarters, really, to break them down. But last week, Louisville, ran, they averaged 5.04 yards per carry, so over five yards a carry against against Virginia, which happens to be quite convenient because that gives you all that film on what Louisville did in the running game to create some of those seams and all of that. And so that's the other thing is I'm looking really closely, and I haven't had a chance to break that game down, but I'm if I'm Phil Longo, I'm going back and I'm going, okay, what did they do? And I know... 
I know Louisville is both very zone heavy. They run a lot of zone, a lot of outside zone, and they also run their quarterback a decent amount. So this is also a game where I would it, it would it would I would feel a lot better about doing this if I if I knew that uh, that Reuter was 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 ready to go. But this is a game where I I think that there's a handful of plays. I think you probably want to give Sam Howell five, six carries in this game that are designed runs, especially early, just to force their defense to to stay honest and get some easy cheap yards against their defense the way that what the way that Louisville did. I mean, that's that's one of the things that they do is that they use their their quarterback a lot in the running game and you know, find a way to imitate what they did a little bit there and see if maybe you can get a couple plays, a couple additional things when, you know, it's third and four or something and you run you run Howell and you get six and that sustains a drive. You make a lot of people nervous when you're talking about running Sam Howell on design runs, especially when Reuter's not 100% back. Uh, it'll be interesting to watch. I do think they need to mix it up a little bit, make them account for him. I remember we used to talk about uh, the read option with Bren Renner and it was like, well, what's the point? He's never going to keep it. And then he started keeping it a few times and opening us up just a little bit more. Let me ask you both. I asked you, Greg, Louisville, or excuse me, Virginia, they won at Pitt in August. Um, but since then they are undefeated at home and winless on the road. Is that a thing? I mean, this game's <laughs> going to be in Keenan stadium and it's going to be an, it's going to be nuts in Keenan Stadium. Carolina hadn't won them all in Keenan Stadium, but Virginia hadn't won one away since going to Pittsburgh August 31st. Well, recently it's just been a matter of, of turnovers. And we talked about this. It's funny. <laughs> this is the coastal division for you, I think, because you can really just look at turnovers and say, okay, well, this is why uh, they lose at Notre Dame. And if, if you watch that game, Virginia probably should have won that game. But they just had a couple strip sacks late that really turned the tide. But they had a, a, a negative four turnover margin at Notre Dame and lost by 15. Uh, they lost the turnover battle at Miami. In Miami, they had chances to win that game and couldn't get it done. Uh, they actually won the turnover battle against Duke and blew Duke out 48-14. And then they lost the turnover margin uh, by two at Louisville and lost by seven. So when Virginia plays clean, as good as they are special teams-wise with Joe Reed, as good as they are defensively, and they don't turn it over offensively, uh, they're they're a handful. But if you can force some turnovers, then you can get some things working in your favor. Um, And I think the other thing, too, worth noting here, Tommy, is when I talk about Virginia playing clean, if you look at their yards per play in all their games, they're dang consistent. Now, they're not explosive. But it's about it's between four and four and a half yards per play, pretty much against every single opponent, uh, which so isn't very good. Right, it's certainly not. But it's not one of these teams where you know it's six and a half in this game, but it's two and a half against this opponent. Um, you know they're they're consistent, but if they're if they're taking care of the ball and they're playing good defense and they're doing what they've been doing on special teams, they're a handful to deal with. Are they great? No. Is anybody in the coastal great? No. Uh, but you have to take advantage of your opportunities. And I think that's, we said it last week, we'll say it, say it again tonight, and we'll, we'll say it for sure next week. That's just how, how this division's shaped up this year. 
Yeah, just for perspective, if uh, Virginia's offense were a defense in terms of yards per play allowed, they'd be the number 18, num- I'm sorry, number 19 defense in the country against FBS competition. So that tells you about their offensive uh, efficiency when it comes to yards per play. That's And that's why they're ranked 112th in the country in yards per play against FBS competition. So that's not real good. The, the other thing that's worth noting here is last week, we talked about how it was turnovers for Duke, and, and it mattered again this last week. But the thing that, that was correlated there is that if you could stop Duke's running game, then they would turn it over. That's And that's what North Carolina did. Interesting thing with Virginia is that there's no correlation between the two, right? So with Duke, if you if you stop their run, then you're they're gonna they're gonna make mistakes in the passing game. With Virginia, you can look at their their average yards per carry, and they are it's not good pretty much against anybody. Now Notre Dame they average 0.14 yards per carry on 29 carries. That's um not good. But against everybody else, I mean, it looks pretty similar. I mean, 3.75, 2.38, 2.39, 3.76, and 3.0. I mean, and half of those were wins and half of those were losses. Half of those, they had a bunch of turnovers, half they didn't. And it is totally not correlating with the yards per carry. What you do know is that you need to force them to, to throw it downfield and they might turn it over, but it's not quite as well correlated in terms of uh, of situations and all of that as uh, as what it was with Duke in terms of, you know, kickoffs and this kind of thing, it's going to be very important uh, for Jonathan Camden to do a good job kicking off, assuming he's, he's still in that role unless Cooper Graham is doing it. Uh, just because when you, when you look at where Virginia has a, a secret weapon uh, with Joe Reed, uh, who who's top in the country, I think he's averaging close to 38 yards per kick return. Um, and that's why, that's why Virginia leads the country and kickoff returns uh, and so that that's the guy that uh, can make an explosive play. So so those kickers, whether it's whoever it is, whoever they've got back there, Cam or, or Graham, they've got to do a, a better job of getting the ball in the end zone. Um, and if they can do that and prevent him from having chances, that will certainly uh, keep the coaching staff and, and, the, and the crowd uh, breathing sighs of relief as often as that happens. Yeah, that, that's big. Uh, Mike Brown's talked about special teams, specifically punts, but uh, Joe Reed is a game changer. And in a tight game like this one could be, something like that could make all the difference in the world. That being said, let's move on to the prediction portion of the show. Um, we've been decent lately, uh, but Greg, I'm going to put you on the hot seat first. Carolina, Virginia, 7.30 in Keenan Stadium. It's going to be wild in there. It is a huge game for North Carolina football, a huge game with coastal implications. How's it turn out? I think this is going to be a game that, that follows very closely to what we saw last week in terms of it being a, a defensive uh, grudge match. I do think Bryce Perkins uh, is is a better quarterback than what Quentin Harris was. Uh, and so I've actually got Virginia winning this one. I think it's going to be a very good game, very competitive game, but I've got Virginia winning 21-17. Mm, that was interesting. Jason, your your take. Uh, I mean, last week, and I'll be honest to our listeners, all three of us really wanted to pick Duke to win that game. <laughs> no, no, none of us wanted to. Well, we're, we're really like, uh, Duke's going to win. Uh, I'm going to pick Carolina anyway. And it worked out. 
So your thoughts on Virginia and Carolina, Jason? This is another coin flip game. And I've gone back and forth on this <laughs> ever since I started thinking about it. Uh, the thing to me that keeps coming back is that these games tend. So I, I've talked about this for multiple years now on this podcast. I always look at certain factors when I'm picking a game. I want to see who's going to win up front, who has the better quarterback. And if those things aren't determinative, which usually the, you can kind of decide on that, I want to look at a, a couple other factors and which team is more likely to get some big plays or turnovers, that sort of thing. And I look at this and ultimately, I think Virginia, I think both defensive lines are going to have an advantage in this game. I think both defense, I think points are going to be at a premium in this game because both teams are going to, are going to be able to limit the run a little bit. But I like Sam Howell better than I like Perkins, even though Perkins is a good player. I think there's a little bit of an edge there. And when it comes time to, to start thinking about, okay, which team is more likely to have that one or two plays that breaks this game open? I think North Carolina is the, the more likely team to be able to pull off that couple big plays on the offensive side. I think they're roughly of equal, equal likelihood in terms of turnovers. So I'm going to go with North Carolina to win this game. I'm going to go with them winning it close. I'm going to say uh, North Carolina. Uh, man, I've been going back and forth on this on this score all day. Uh, I'm going to go say North Carolina, twenty to seventeen, same as last week against Duke. Well, Greg, uh, yeah, he prices righted you on that one. I'm going to say, um, you know, this is one. This is probably one that I, I think I in the preseason I had Virginia winning it. And, Jason, you made a good point there about who's got the more explosive players. Virginia's kick return specialist bothers me as far as picking North Carolina. But I'm going to go Carolina. It's in Keenan Stadium. I mean, it, it's different this year. I said that in the first couple games of the season. It just seems different. I'm going to say Carolina 23 Virginia 16, um, minus any crazy pick six scoop and score things. 23-16, Carolina. Um, Greg, you're the outlier, so but we'll let you own that one. We'll talk again soon, boys. It's been fun. Inside Carolina Game Plan Podcast, sponsored by Johnny T-Shirt, on Halloween night recording this, full of chocolate and other things. Jason and Greg, I appreciate you taking the time. Thanks, Tommy. Thanks, Tommy. Thanks for listening to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com. Brought to you by JohnnyT-Shirt.com. Where to go for your next Tar Heel gear purchase. Baseball has begun, which means you need to listen to Fantasy Baseball Today in 5, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. Join Scott White, Chris Towers, and me, Frank Samphill, every Monday through Saturday as we deliver all of your fantasy baseball needs in just five minutes. We'll break down the biggest performers, news, and prospects who could make an impact this season. Make sure to download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and everywhere else podcasts are found.